Welcome to the Insider's Guide to Finance, where we dive into stories from the front lines of financing public and private companies. I host seasoned CEOs, fund managers, bankers, brokers, and business experts who will answer your questions about how to properly engage investors, finance opportunities, and build outstanding success stories. We dig into the educational how-tos and mechanics of structuring good deals. You'll also hear about strokes of luck, tense negotiations, and the pressures of closing, while also getting insights on how to best navigate the public markets. Welcome back to the Insider's Guide to Finance. In today's episode, we're speaking with Nisha Hassan, the principal of Momentum IR. I'm thrilled to have Nisha on as she speaks to us about the importance of investor relations, as well as the multiple areas that an IRO has to cover. Very much so, IRO is about being that bridge between the public company and investors. The insights Nisha shares will likely change how you view the role of investor relations. A point that Nisha makes is that Investors are inundated with information about countless other companies. So how do you as an investment opportunity stand out and manage those relationships? We also speak to the perception of how digital is changing how companies communicate to both retail and institutional investors. For CEOs and management teams who are evaluating a new IR contract, I think it's important to listen to this episode as it will give you the insights into the questions you should be asking of investor relations consultants you're speaking with. Always so much to learn. And before we get started, I'm happy to host this episode with the support of Olympia Trust Company. Olympia is an outstanding provider of transfer agent and corporate trustee services and has been supporting the Canadian capital markets for well over 20 years. I can speak from experience that the team strives to deliver on their promise of making it personal. So thanks again to the team at Olympia Trust Company. I encourage you to reach out to them at any time. You can find their contact information in the show notes. Now, on with the show. Nisha, welcome to the show. Corey, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, yes. I'm looking forward to this. You and I have started to uh, get to know each other in the in the business you do in the investor relations world, and I'm thrilled to have this conversation because I know you've got a ton of experience working with a bunch of different issuers, and I think it's such a hot topic that we have to talk about investor relations and really what it means. So the best way to start off with is for an introduction from yourself, so I'm going to pass it over to you. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so my name is Nisha Sam. And I am an investor relations practitioner. I've been doing this for, oh gosh, 15 years in the mining business primarily. When I first fell into this, I didn't even know what IR was. I had never heard about it before. And my learnings from it is it is such an all-encompassing, important role that more people need to get excited about and know And there really isn't even like a program or a specific background you need to get into IR. I think there's certain organizations now that are working with universities to, you know, implement certain courses, which I think is great. But for those of us have been that have been doing this for so long, it's really been kind of learning on the job, learning what's new and applying it to making sure your corporate issuers are standing out and doing their best and building trust with the investment community. So for me, you know, as I had mentioned, I've been doing this for 15 years in various capacities. I've been a consultant before. I spent a long time acting as director of IR, VP of IR for various companies, and then ultimately decided to take a leap into entrepreneurship about a year and a half ago. It's something that I've always wanted to do, but for all various different reasons, the timing didn't really work out. And I think when I started my practice, Momentum IR, it was the perfect time for me because the stars were aligning. It's like, you know, all of my relationships that I had spent developing over the last 15 years had all of a sudden said to me, hey, you know, I'm putting together this opportunity or, oh my gosh, Nisha, what are you doing now? So it all kind of fell into my lap and pushed me to take that leap. And it's been great ever since. So I now run my own firm, Momentum IR Corp. We specialize in investor relations and corporate communications, and we really take an internal lens 
to helping our clients. So myself and my team members, we have all come from being internal. And there's a certain different way you approach IR when you've been doing it in-house for so long. We don't try to reshape things or, you know, redo things that other people are doing. We support the back end. And a big part of what we do is helping CEOs and corporations shine and do the best in telling their story and navigating external relationships to help us cast our net even wider. And I think that that sometimes is the missing key between a full-blown large IR firm that has multiple clients versus, you know, a smaller practice like ourselves where we know we can't do it all. You know, we rely on corporate teams. We rely on third-party contractors, vendors, service providers to help us effectively tap into the broader market. There's so much I want to unpack already. And Mm -hmm. I think that, as you mentioned in our kind of our pre-call, in a very short amount of time, you've been able to build up a really, like a real going concern of a firm. You have a number of different clients, reputable clients. And and I like the point you make of in coming in there, having internal experience, you're not just coming into an organization as another IR consultant saying, you need to change this. We're going to do this. We're going to bring in this influence. It sounds like you, you come in and say, okay, what is the lay of the land and take it on as if you were internal 100% of the time and one of the team. And so I think that's kind of an interesting perspective and even some advice for issuers is, you know, take a look at, at what your IR consultants are saying. Are they they trying to push you out of a box? And is that a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, I, I really like that point that you bring up because I think, you know, from our standpoint, and when I put this together, I felt that there was a significant need for senior experience for smaller companies. And I think, you know, you get so caught up in the day-to-day when, you know, you're at one job at one company telling one story and supporting one strategic narrative that sometimes it's difficult to see what else is out there and mm. what investors are saying about peer companies because you're not internal to that role. You're not receiving that feedback directly. Of course, I think networking is a big part of it. And the IR community is so wonderful that way. We all share information. but you know, when I saw the significant need of, hey, they're like, the IR role is very strategic. And companies can benefit from knowledge and information, because that's what we do. We recycle Mm -hmm. all of this information to ultimately support the strategic visions of companies. And, you know, when I had seen that need, and now that I'm working on so many different stories, that quite frankly, is very exciting, because I get to see different things on the back end. It's, It's nice to be able to apply to our client companies what works, what doesn't, who to meet, where to meet. You know, the world is very big and the internet is even bigger. So I think IR people nowadays are tasked with so much that, you know, that knowledge is is powerful. That is a good point. There's a tremendous amount of opportunity. I have started to notice how actually how supportive the IR community is among each other. And it's I think that that's to the benefit. I want to talk about the importance of IR though, and how that I think that's elevating. We're starting to actually see IROs, investor relations officers, and that seat at the table with the C-suite, to me, it's incredibly important and, and I'm surprised it's taken so long to get there. Let's unpack the difference between an IRO and a promoter, because I think this is important too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have very specific feelings about that word promoter. And it's kind of sad because I think there is a misconception about what IR actually is. And, you know, it's no fault of anybody's. I think, you know, we wear so many different hats. Perhaps this is why it's difficult for people to understand what IR does and how it can be a function of a corporation depending on its size. So I think the first thing to clear up is IR departments exist almost everywhere in the realm of publicly listed companies, even private organizations, even investment funds have IR departments. And the role that we play is, again, the collection of information, consistency, transparency, building trust, and that is applied to so many different aspects, whether it's corporate disclosures, 
you know, all the materials that you see that comes out of an IR department and even engaging with investors like, you know, and people have to understand that, you know, when you're meeting hundreds and thousands of investors everywhere, depending on the size of your company, or even if it's a small organization, you know, you got to focus on the quality of the relationship and you can't do that just off the top of your head. You have to track progress. What did we last say? Are we, is this meeting useful? And IR people play such a strong, critical role in helping shape that narrative in making sure that every single time you touch base with an investor, it's quality, whether you're speaking to something good or you're speaking to something bad. Among other things, you know, there's so many different hats that we have to put on. And anyway, back to your original question, I think, again, like there's, we do so many different things. And perhaps that's why it's difficult for some people to distinguish what we do from that side of the business, like helping a public company be public versus mm. promoting. Just when it comes to promoting, I mean, to me, I think of a Vancouver special, right? I mean, let's recognize a bit of the history there that it was the Wild West. And, you know, I think that some people stepped in to capitalize on opportunities, which were not on side. You know, they did a lot of things that made them a lot of money and, and perhaps took a lot of money from people who were innocent investors, if you will. And so I think that's where the promotion side gets the bad rap. But if we separate ourselves from that history and look going forward, what has come of that is is for Canada and our markets where you need to have investor relations and a degree of promotion to that. We now have a very robust market where internationally people want to to be listing because it's a good place to formulate capital or to bring capital together. But again, promotion has, it's a bit of a four letter word. Well, even the TSX, because most IROs have to file a personal information form where you talk about your history, you know, for your regulatory filings and the category beside investor relations is promoter. And it's unfortunate. And, you know, maybe there is a degree of promotion in the work that we do. But, you know, investors are not just going to be able to find you. There's thousands of companies that are listed. And a big part of what we do is to build awareness. You know, there's a reason why I was thinking this morning, actually, about this conversation and the promoter side. And I was thinking, you know, there's a reason why people who are developing products and innovating go on Shark Tank. They're promoting their product, right? You can't people to just know every single product, especially when your sector is not easily understood, when it's not sexy. You know, we have to make it easy for people to understand. You know, if you look at mining, you know, we go where people don't go, where there's no roads that exist, where, you know, we're building infrastructure, we're supporting communities, we're creating jobs. Like these are not things that your day-to-day person thinks about. And I think, again, like, you know, IROs, they play a very important role in shaping that understanding. First of all, like helping management teams understand what that narrative could be. What is that misunderstanding or what sort of knowledge gap is there? And then we try to close that gap. When you're talking about how there's so much, you know, you need to promote, you need to get out there and be known and be seen. One of the challenges I see for a lot of public issuers is that Let's go to the VRIC conference, a great conference, brings tons of big names in and, and a lot of people, a lot of retail. Jay Martin does a hell of a job there. But I was joking around with an IR pro about how when you walk down the aisles of the conference, it's like you're like walking down like aisles of camouflage. All of the companies look the same. And there are all these mining companies who are all showing their, whether it be a big hole in the ground or a swath of forest that is potentially a an exploration play, you know, and it just, how do you stand out and how do you tactfully stand out? I think is something that companies issuers have to get around, but that touches a bit on promotion. I think I'm kind of taking us off topic, but I just, it was something that I remembered this is it feels like you're walking down aisles of camouflage with all these companies. It's true. And I find like the conferences can be very daunting and to be quite frank, sometimes they're not always useful, but You know, if you take the PDAC, for example, it's so big. It's the world's largest mining conference. And, you know, it takes a lot of time 
from management teams to stand at a booth for four days. And I think you do it for a couple of reasons. Number one, you do it to support the industry. Because if we aren't supporting one another, you know, we're not going to have these channels and these avenues to talk about innovation, advancement, technical development. And if we want to continue to see investment dollars in this business, no matter what sector you're in, you need sector specific conferences. And I think, you know, you, you bring up a good point about how to stand out. I think it's kind of two pronged. Like if you have a, a genuine purpose to be there, you know, it's a significant time in the corporation's progress. You know, you have significant catalysts coming up. You know, that is a good time to be out there and market because you never know who you're going to come across. And I think one other thing is, you know, when we think about investors, who are the folks that are investing in these companies? Sometimes it's people within your own sector. Sometimes it's management teams of other companies. It's yourself. It's me. You know, and when we see good opportunities, we share it, we talk about it. And I think it's really important to stay current and to stay relevant and to to be seen. But of course, you know, a big part of that is making sure that those conferences are worthwhile for the company. They're serving a purpose and it's within your budget. And, you know, most IROs will have these things planned out a year in advance with our IR plans and budgets. And so we go there hoping, you know, to keep eyeballs on the story. And, you know, if we meet people the year before, we want to go back. And if we see them again, we'll say, oh, we saw you last year. And this is where we are this year to show progress. I want to talk about, you mentioned budgets. And in your years of experience in investor relations, what have you seen changing? And what perhaps criticisms or areas of improvement do you think pubcos really need to focus on? That's a really good question. I think the one thing that I have seen change is companies are now considering more online awareness campaigns. I mean, we all know this, like this is, it's critical. Everything has gone virtual since the pandemic. And I think that we've seen it works. You know, you don't have to spend thousands of dollars, you know, going to all these different cities to meet your investors. In fact, they're at your fingertips through a screen. And for me specifically, like we recommend a big portion of our budgets to digital Now, whether that's participating in webinars, in virtual conferences, you know, doing digital marketing, social media marketing, I think all of these things are starting to become, to have more permanent spaces in reoccurring IR budgets. And I think that that's a very important way to ensure that your message is consistently out there in the internet. And more of the times nowadays, I'm finding investors, like I'll ask for a one-on-one meeting and you know, they've already seen a webinar we've done. And they're like, you know, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. I just came across this and I don't really have any questions. So it's, it's kind of nice because it's an efficient way to continuously get your message out there without, you know, making the best use of time for everybody, the management teams, as well as the investors. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. And and I think I really believe that it was cannabis who brought in digital marketing into the public markets. You know, it they came out so hard with these these companies and listen, the industry's done what it's done, but they really pioneered the use of, of digital marketing and investor relations. And now for me, it's really interesting to see how much mining companies have embraced it. Whereas if you want to compare that to the world of oil and gas, culturally, it is so different. I've tried to get some oil and gas issuers on as clients. And say, hey, there's some really awesome things. Let's look at what the mining industry is doing. And they said they're, they'd be embarrassed to use digital marketing. I was like, whoa. But then you look at what mining companies are doing and how they're really building great online presences for the investment community. And I love it. So I like that you point that out. Uh, what other things do you think, you know, kind of, like comparatively being reactive versus strategic and how you approach your IR, what should companies be knowing or be doing? Yeah, I think a big part of it is understanding perception. So for me, you know, I like to, before I create an IR program, I like to understand what is the perception on this particular company? What is it that needs to change? And if there is a positive perception, 
What do I need to continue to do better on? What do I need to continue to progress on? And I think that, you know, there's a lot of great companies out there that do perception audits and not every company has the budget to do something like that. But I think collecting feedback is so important. And, you know, maybe as a third party consultant, I have a little bit more pull to, you know, call an investor and, you know, gauge feedback. And that's helped tremendously shape the IR plan that I'm putting forth to help guide future discussions and conversations with other investors. Like this is what people are saying about us. And I think that that's really important. It's, you know, when you're approaching investing and being a publicly listed company, it's all about sharing information. And as IROs, we have to play, there's a very fine line that we can walk when it comes to that. But since we're the gatekeepers of all of this information, we can use it to our advantage. So I think that that to me is very important. It's the feedback and the perception. And, you know, we're so lucky nowadays that we can see it all online. You know, everyone's in the comments and, you know, saying what they want. And I think that, you know, management teams should be reading this stuff. They should know how people are viewing what they're putting out and, you know, what is being said about certain interviews, whether positive or negative, because they're great opportunities to improve and continue to do the good stuff that you're doing. So what are the kind of things, what are the kind of the areas of feedback that you start to see from these perception audits? I think it's interesting. And I I know somebody who's done these for large organizations, and there's a lot of information they get back. But so what are the kind of things you look for when doing this? I think the most important thing that I look for is how the investing audience is perceiving management. Do they trust the management team? Because that's where it all starts. These are the people that are sharing your story. These are the people that are leading the company. And I think, you know, if there is a lack of trust, that's where we need to first start. And if people are confused about the company's strategy, I think that that is pivotal in not only gaining trust, but taking opportunities to, again, create further narrative. If there is a lack of understanding on what investors need to look for to action their trades, let's Mm. get ahead. Let's make the plans. And that's a big role that we play at Momentum IR. We love to focus on the strategic side. So we'll always look at all the feedback. And I've been doing this just throughout my career because I, I love it. I find it so fun And it helps me engage not only with the investing audience, but also with my management team and provide them with valuable advice because they might not have this direct lens. And when I am collecting all this feedback, you know, that can help shape your next number of news releases or, you know, how to put in a video that can very quickly address certain concerns. And, you know, I think bringing these issues to light allows an open dialogue between corporate, first of all, to make sure your message is, is right. And secondly, with your investing community, you're almost like inviting them into your living room to have a conversation and clearly understand what it is that they're investing in and you know how they can track that progress. I think that's so important. I When you say bring them into your living room, I've got this view and perhaps it's, what's the word? It's almost a fantasy of sorts that in our public markets, we would have management teams who would be willing to be human in front of the market, be willing to be a little bit vulnerable, to come forward and say, hey, you know, we've made great progress here, but this screwed up and this is why, and this is what we learned and this is how we're fixing it. You know, that kind of, but it feels like most public companies are the extent of their their communication is a sterilized press release and that's as far as they want to go. I just imagine what could happen if, you know, a company really came forward and started to demonstrate who they were as people and a personality and the leadership in going after good opportunities and consistently communicating the good, bad and the ugly. Yeah, I think, you know, now with companies becoming more comfortable with having an online voice and presence, you know, I remember even like five, six years ago, like social media was just not even a part of our vocabulary. And now it's a big part of everyone's disclosure policy. You know, who's posting, who controls the narrative. I think it presents such a lucrative opportunity for companies to be human. And a part of the innovation is 
you know, having your IR team engaged, you know, this isn't, it's not comfortable for everybody. I think, you know, you'll always, there are a number of rules and regulations that we have to abide by as IROs, but I think, you know, CEOs that have their own handles or, you know, that are posting information and sharing why they're passionate about what they're leading. I think that gives us a glimpse of their knowledge, their ability to lead, how passionate they are, how they'll respond to certain crises. I mean, it's just changed so much. And I think that it is an opportunity for companies to better connect with their investors because almost everybody is online and that's how they're seeing your information. So you might as well be out there and, and engage. And I think companies that are not doing that, it's it's a missed opportunity. Certainly, certainly. How with social media and tools, you know, all of the different digital tools we have now, how do you find the reception between retail and institutions? Yeah, that's a good question. I find retail investors have become way more vocal. And I think companies can now see forthright how much pull they can have in talking about a specific company. Like all of these different cash tags, if you click them, you see all these different people talking about your company. It's just so easy at the click of your finger. And I think it's, I think it's really interesting to see how passionate retail can be and how much they can push the needle. I mean, look at everything that happened with AMC and, you know, the Reddit community. I mean, I'm still fairly new to how that all works in the background, but I think you know, retail has a much bigger voice. Whereas in, you know, I remember marketing in certain cities, you like, I wouldn't even get a question because no one would want to ask in a big room. Whereas in now, you know, it's just, it's a simple post and people are not afraid to share their thoughts because it's so much easier. You're not, you know, putting your face out there. It's, it's a lot more, what's the word? It's more casual and less confrontational. It's just direct and they're just, people are just stating their opinions. Whereas in institutional investors, and it's very interesting that you bring this up because I did a site visit last year and just gauging not just institutional investors, but even the sell side and, you know, are they paying attention to what companies are posting? And they are, you know, a lot of the analysts on my site visit, they're on Twitter, they're up to speed on what's happening. They're seeing, you know, what the general perception is on certain companies and, you know, which companies are popular, who's everybody talking about, like, it's just so much easier to gauge this information nowadays. But I think also on the flip side, that puts way more importance and emphasis on IROs to be engaged and and fully aware of what people are saying online. I think we need to contribute a a very significant amount of our time to ensuring that we're up to speed on what that narrative is in case there's something misleading out there or something negative. You know, these are all opportunities to correct that perception. But again, like everything is at your fingertips. And I think both institutional investors and retail investors, like they're all human. We're all regular people. And nowadays, you know, if you look on Twitter, you know, we're getting news faster on Twitter than anywhere else. So why not? Yeah. You know, I am happy that you made that point. And I think that it's it's really easy for people in the markets to disregard the fact that I don't care if you're an analyst, a fund manager, if you've got 10 billion under management, all of this, you are still human. Your nature by being human is to lead with emotion. Emotion trumps logic. You will get into the logic. There is the numbers. But if you can't capture that person's interest and imagination, then you're out of their mind. And at worst, you're a quick sell because they don't care. But if you give them a reason to care, if you're top of mind by using tools like social media, email marketing, and different web presences out there to ensure that your story is is something that is keeping their interest, then they're going to start to have an attraction towards your story and going to be willing to put in the time to understand the logic of the deal. So I just really like the fact that you put out that, you know, even institutional investors are humans as well. Yeah. And can I add one more thing to that is, you know, when you look at an institutional investor, you know, these people are seeing thousands of companies. You can't really get them to remember 
you know, every little detail of what you're doing, you know, especially if they don't own you and you're trying to break through and retain that relationship and get that investment, it's even more important for you to put yourself out there to show that you, you know, are making progress and it has to go above and beyond a 10 minute read of a press release. I have signed up to so many different tickers and I get alerts. And of course, you know, I, I read the ones that I am, you know, personally heavily invested in, but you know, even for peer companies, like I just want things quick and fast because we don't have a lot of time to sit there and read everything. And having all of these different channels to absorb information quicker to remind us, oh yeah, this company exists and they're doing this, or they've made this discovery, or they've created this product can be any industry. It doesn't matter. But I think that these are all things that we need to remember as publicly listed issuers, that you can't expect people to just remember your last press release. You have to find ways to keep connecting and to remind them that, hey, we still exist and this is what we're doing. I'm curious, this just came to mind as as we're talking through this. What about we're consuming information in smaller snippets? And, And I think that's across the board, including institutions. I would argue that the yeah, institutions are, are covering the names they're invested in. And then to expect that they're actually going to bother reading your press release if they're not invested in you, it's like, give it a break. It's not going to happen. They're not going to take the time to invest in it. So segueing over to the, the thought about AI and how AI is impacting IR, what are your initial thoughts there? It's super topical right now. Yeah, I mean, look, I think AI has been around for a little bit in all different ways, shapes, sizes, whatnot, right? But I think now we're starting to see it come to light in the everyday things that we're doing, like chat GPT, you know, making it so much easier to communicate and to just craft ideas. And I think I think you still need a human approach. I don't foresee it taking over communications, particularly in when it comes to, you know, being a listed issuer, I don't, I don't see AI taking over any sort of function. I think it's going to help teams be more efficient. The one thing within the IR realm is we deal with an incredible amount of data between financials, between strategic communications, writing our materials. I think that it's important for teams to understand what resources are out there to help you be efficient. And of course, I think, you know, there's a degree of ensuring appropriate disclosures are met and, you know, the legal side of things, of course, but I think it's important for us to continually innovate. And this is where AI plays such a big role. And, you know, we need to take more time to understand it and help make our lives easier. Yes. Yeah, I think that's kind of it. I mean, it's, I'll argue to the end of time that AI is never going to replace a human connection, but it's probably going to make it a hell of a lot faster to initiate and build and and kind of build on those connections. One thing I'm interested in seeing with the world of AI and IR coming out is I think some of these players like the Irwins, the Q4s, you know, some of the bigger names we're seeing who have now brought software into the IR world, I think they have an opportunity to come out with some AI tools that are going to be really powerful in helping, you know, assess the narrative, assess what's being said online, assess who's who's buying and who's selling and and enable us to to not have to sit down and take a few hours to really kind of do the analysis, to just kind of quickly be able to pull together the thoughts, the brainstorm, the electronic brainstorm of sorts. So I think that that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, I agree and you know, that kind of ties in again to the incredible amount of information that we as IROs have to manage on a day-to-day basis. Like when you've been listed for five years, that's five years worth of investors to keep track of, you know, and then we've got your shareholder registry when you're given your oboe and noble list, like you have to comb through these people. Who are these people? How do you track them? How do you like there? It's just, I'm kind of excited for the evolution of AI to play a big role in sifting through this data because a lot of data. And, you know, sometimes we're not pervy to the information that we need from shareholders. It's not as easily accessible. 
So I'm really keen to see, you know, the innovation that is going to come in future years and how that's going to play a magnificent, significant role in, you know, giving IROs the power to truly understand, you know, I've got 20,000 people in my shareholder registry that are retail investors. How do I connect with them? So mm. They feel, yes. you know, it's going to be cool. Yeah. It is actually really exciting, the industry we're in. You know what I mean? Because it's, it feels like it's definitely, there's so much change that can happen, positive change. So it is exciting to see it come. And there's so many archaic systems, right? Like, oh, God. Yeah. CEDAR. Oh, my gosh. It is yeah, it I know. <laughs> innovated at all. So, you know, I mean, yeah. let's put AI behind that and, and see how we can, you know, I'm excited. I think there's going to be a lot of positive change. You know, I think, I don't think CDAR or SETI website has changed since I got in the business. No, me too. It's the same, like, yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. That and Stockwatch, the website. So what about tools that you're using right now? And like, what are the day-to-day tools that, that you're putting into to action for, for your clients? Yeah, good question. There are a number of, I think the most important tool in IRO's toolbox has to be having a good CRM where you can maintain and track all of your contacts. And for me, you know, I think Irwin is great. I remember when they first started and, you know, I did the demo. This was like when they had two or three clients and they were just in beta. You know, they really took the time to understand what IROs need. And that's the same as so many others. They've innovated their platforms where you can, you know, see various analyst transcripts and how that may pertain to you and get a good feel on your peers. And, you know, these are the powerful tools that allow us to, again, have knowledge to relate to management teams, to effectively guide conversations when you're speaking with investors. So for me, you know, the NASDAQ IRM platform, Irwin, these are great tools in an IRO's toolbox and quite frankly, in my own. I think the other things that are just kind of a part of your day-to-day, your MailChimps, your social media, like all of these things are standard. My team and I, we're starting to put ourselves in the shoes of the investors. You know, what do we do when we see a long piece of communication? We're probably not reading it with an insane amount of detail. It's it's a lot of information to take in. And and so, you know, when I think about how we're presenting things to the investment community, I always think of short and sweet. And, you know, if it's something like a, a press release or a corporate update, you know, let's take the press release and let's summarize it. Let's just make it human. And I think that's the one thing that I'm finding has been working for me and my team is just Making things short and sweet and human because, you know, to break that corporate barrier and, you know, the other, and this is kind of getting off topic, but so many more young people nowadays are investing. You have this whole millennial Gen Z investing culture. And again, like how are they receiving information? Short spurts, TikTok, you know, it's, it's an all different weird kinds of methods, but again, like, you know, these people, particularly retail, you know, even some of my friends, like they have no idea what mining is, but they're looking to make money. They want to invest. And, you know, I always try to put myself in those people's shoes that, you know, these are the people that are going to help generate liquidity. They're buying in the open market. How do I best present information to them to make it easier for them to understand what it is we're doing? And I think, again, just going back to like IROs innovating, like we need to get down to that level. We need to understand how people are receiving information and make it as basic as needed. And you know what? If someone wants to get more technical, they'll ask for that call. They'll ask for that meeting. And that's a great way to, you know, bring them on board and, you know, further that relationship. So this is music to my ears. I really, really like hearing you say this in the sense I've been doing a little bit of work and consulting with uh a billion dollar NASDAQ company. And one of the things that I put forward to them is like, be a little bit more personal in your press releases. And so what I've seen come out is instead of copy paste, blast out the press release, which is to me is just ignore if I see that coming to my inbox. Instead, 
comes in, hey, we released this press release. I just wanted to tell you a few of the points. Here's the highlights. And if you want to read more, here's the link. Please reach out to me if you have any questions. IR Pro, super personalized. It felt welcoming. And I was like, wow, that is a step towards building an investor brand that is going to bring people in and say, thanks for the quick information. I get what's happening. I like it. Or I'm going to click here and take myself to the actual press release and, and read deeper and then take, you know, make a decision. So I just, I love hearing that to me. It's, it's, we, we need to start personalizing the, the communications because it, it comes down to it. It's a personal business. Yeah. Personalizing, respecting people's time and making it as easy as possible for them to understand and track your progress and being mindful of the fact that it's a very large competitive investing landscape. Thousands of yes. companies out there. Yeah. Who are all vying for that investor dollar. Yeah. Another question I have for you from like an investor relations professional perspective, how do you break up your day? If you had a pie chart of your day, what do those slices look like? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say 60% of my time is dedicated to the strategic support that I provide to management teams. And that could be, you know, crafting their messaging, coaching CEOs, um, you know, being up to speed on that perception and finding new ways to engage. You know, I would say that that's a big portion of my day. And the other 40%, I would say is, you know, tracking my relationships. You know, when did I last contact this person or this person sent me a note? Let me get back to them. Let me see if this is worth a, a meeting. Do I need to loop in management? And I think a big part of it is IROs, IROs spend a lot of time getting to understand investors and their needs and the opportunities where they should be engaging in management. And the other flip side of it is, you know, making sure that management teams are accessible. So it's like that facilitating that discussion. And, you know, we really are the bridge between the investing community and the corporate. So, you know, we need to understand both sides. And, you know, when it comes to engagement and outreach, I would say, you know, understanding both sides is very important. You know, when to bring in your management team, you know, do the investor investors need an update from them? So just navigating those relationships also take up a big part of my day. Yeah. Okay. It comes to something else that I know you've done a number of M and A transactions, and when we think about the bridge between the or the the corporate entity, the the issuer, and the investors, and a transaction comes up, this is a lot of there can be a lot of thought and a lot of strategy that goes in there. Can you tell me about the transactions you've been involved with, and you know if you've got scar tissue around it, let me know. Like <laughs> these things don't always go right. No, not at all. I think I've now done probably over 20 transactions. Not all of them have been significant, but a good portion of them have been very big. And I learned a lot of lessons along the way of the do's and don'ts of M&A. And the role that IR plays in M&A, it's fun. It's very stressful. But, you know, this is a time where we get to collaborate very well with all sides of the business, you know, the, the sell side, the investors, the legal, your technical team that does an incredible amount of due diligence. You know, there's so much that goes into making that decision and getting to the, it's going public or it's getting announced. So I think a big part of it is Again, like all the things that we talked about, like that perception tying in like, okay, we announced this, what happens next? How do we inform people? And then the the post deal support, you know, how do we gauge how people are feeling about this? How do we gauge, you know, because you still have to, in most cases, you know, sometimes you need shareholder approval. Sometimes you need that buy-in, right? So I would say, you know, IR plays a huge role in transactional support. And I made that a part of my services because even that momentum, like a big part of that 20 that I've done is like within the last year. And I think, you know, there's a lot of consolidation that's happening in the investing space. And I think companies that are choosing to 
you know, find lucrative ways to add shareholder value. Like these are exciting things for investors to wake up one day and say, oh, wow, like you did this transformational deal. You know, they're all of a sudden paying attention. Like that's when you have the most attention and eyeballs. And I think, you know, when it comes to IR, like that's your time to step it up and, you know, make sure you have all eyes and ears. It's important. It is pretty cool when you, you know, you wake up, you've been following a deal and then something comes out and the press release comes out that they've just done a really a large transaction that's that's a game changer and and so I think it's neat to see that it's a fun part of our world of finance but what comes to mind from what you're saying is that, you know if you don't have a strategy to continue to communicate and say hey we've done this now this is the next step and then continue to be able to build on like why you did this and how this is is going to be a creative and then you know three or six or nine months down the road be be able to show that this was a creative you know i think that that maybe it's just a matter of, of not having enough time as management teams and iros but planning through and saying how are we going to continue to communicate why we did this and why it is a benefit and so to to get the most out of the excitement. Yeah, I think, you know, that's definitely a big part of it is, you know, you announce your deal and it's, it's usually a couple of months before it closes. So you've got a pretty significant window to, you know, get people to understand what this actually means. And, you know, if we, if we take a step back, you know, okay, you've, let's say you've bought an asset, you know, you're not going to realize value right away. A lot of the times it takes time to, you know, merge your teams to figure out where the cost benefits are, or, you know, how is that going to tap into your bottom line? When are you going to start to see cash flows? Like there's so much that goes into that. And again, it's in most cases, M&A is a lot of information for investors to absorb. It's a lot of different components and parts. And I think, you know, breaking it up, over a larger amount of time makes it easier for people to understand the future value and also get excited about future growth. Because I think, you know, first of all, M&A is not easy, you know, to be in the room and to make a deal happen, to get it signed. Like sometimes it's at like the 11th hour and it's three o'clock in the morning and, you know, the other party hasn't signed or the other party is now throwing in another wrench. Yeah. Oh, my God. I've got a memory of that. Yeah. We did a deal back in the day. And I remember we were scrambling to get all the papers done. And you know what started and threw a wrench into our freaking deal? And it resolved itself. But it was the Calgary Stampede. Oh, my goodness. Our freaking lawyer was out getting loaded, having a party, right? Like it was their stand people. And we're like, we need this stuff signed. Oh my God. It just, it all worked out, but it was just funny how something as simple as, well, just a big party all of a sudden caused us some issues. But anyway. That's kind of a good point because so many people are involved in the success of this transaction moving forward that again, like it's, I think the main point to emphasize here is teams that are able to complete M&A in a good market, bad market, whatever it is, and they're looking for ways to innovate and create shareholder value, they should be commended because M&A is hard. And a lot of the times, you know, investors, they might not understand why they're doing a certain deal and they might view it in a negative way. But in the long run, strategically, there's always a reason that that's happening. And a lot of the times it's it's so forward looking that it might not make sense. But, you know, if it pays off, then everybody wins. Yeah, yeah, of course. Where else to go here? I'm curious about some of the things that you do outside of just Momentum IR. I think that you do a fair bit of public speaking. And also, I think, as a champion for both women in the industry and women in business, I like bringing this up because I think that, and what I actually like to see is there's more and more women in, in investor relations and in finance, it seems. And I think this is really positive, but talk to us a bit about that work you do. Yeah, I'd love to. You know, of course, you've heard all the reasons why I'm so passionate about my day-to-day work and starting my own firm. And I love that. But I would say, you know, I love showing people who I am outside of my work. And a big part of that is the disability advocacy that I do. 
So my brother, my brother has Down syndrome and I'm on the board of a small local not-for-profit called the Down Syndrome Association of Toronto. And I joined it nine years ago and I love it. Before I had my son, I had a lot more time to do hands-on work. I haven't left the board, you know, even though I'm, I'm running my own gig and I have so much on my plate. It's, I love it. I love speaking to, again, like what makes us human outside of our work? It's, you know, that caring, that kindness, giving back, you know, seeing opportunities in other communities that we necessarily don't even think about on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, for me, I've, we have this annual fundraiser that we do every single year. It's actually the world's largest awareness campaign for Down syndrome. It happens in over 300 cities across the world. There's over $50 million that's raised globally. And I help spearhead the Toronto walk every single year, which means fundraising, which means getting volunteers, writing all the scripts, finding media. It's a lot of work, but it's so rewarding to get there and see all of these families come together. And the cool thing is, you know, being in this realm in finance, you know, I've been able to connect so many of my relationships to the philanthropic work that I do. And, you know, showing people this added layer of who I am and giving them a lens into my community and what I love. And it's been awesome. You know, for so many years, we were doing the market open at the TSX. You know, we had such a great relationship with them. And, you know, I think it's so important to have that connection outside of work. You know, like, who are you? What, you know, what, what do you love? What are you passionate about? So I've been doing consistently a lot of that. And I also do the, I realized the one thing with adults with disabilities is, you know, there's a lot of loneliness that exists for adults with disabilities, particularly Down syndrome. You know, they're not picking up the phone and, you know, calling their friend readily or driving and going to meet someone. Like there's a lot of barriers to access to doing simple tasks that we do. And in seeing that loneliness, you know, I started the first dinner and social for adults with Down syndrome for people to just get together for dinner, you know, near the subway station, could be anywhere in the city. And it went from five people to, you know, 25 people, 30 people, you know, our dances now have like 80 plus 100 people. So these things are, are so important. And when I see the feedback from my community members, Nisha, like, I'm so happy to be with my friends. Thank you for setting this up. Thank you for volunteering your time. You know, that's what makes me so happy. And, you know, these are things I'm excited for my son to do with me. And, you know, I brought my friends in as volunteers. And I think it's really important to give back. Some other ways that I give back as well is, you know, now that I am a mom, you know, I spoke on this topic of work-life balance because it's, it's been a huge challenge for me. And I think as women, as new mothers, I think it's important for us to, again, share information to understand that, you know, you're not alone in your challenges. And for me, I would say very much pride myself in taking this leap into entrepreneurship shortly after having my son. I was always afraid to do this because IR is such a taxing career where, you know, you're traveling, you're, it's not a nine to five by any means. We're handling material information, which means, you know, if something happens at like 2 a.m., you got to be up, you got to get at it. So I always thought to myself, like, how am I going to manage all of that? But, you know, having him, you know, it almost compelled me to do more and to really go outside of my horizon. I just want to make a comment. I think you're a bit insane for having started your firm right after you had your first child. It is crazy. You know, we're kind of in the same boat with about six months behind you with our child. And my God, is it a lot of work for me? And my God, is it almost 10 times more or more for my wife? And so I commend you for doing that. And and I really, I had no idea the amount of work it took for the mothering of our child before having a child. So I really just want to acknowledge that. And I say like, well, I think you're a bit insane for having done what you've done, but look at the success you found. So good for you. Thank you. I am insane. <laughs> like, <that's laughs> like I can't believe I'm doing this. And, 
you know, some days are very overwhelming, but you know what? Look, I'm really glad that I've been able to scale and it's allowed me to build a fantastic team around me that can, you know, help navigate and support our day-to-day efforts. And, you know, our clients see that too, you know, they see how hard we all work. And I think it's a great working relationship and they're all very supportive. And I think that's, that's another thing with having the ability to set up my own firm is working with people that I genuinely trust and support and support me, you know, that allows me to approach every single day as if like, this is not a job. This is, you know, I take full accountability and ownership of everything I do. And I love that. And I love being in a position to do that. It's awesome. And the one other thing I wanted to add is Siri, the Canadian Investor Relations Institute. Awesome, awesome organization. I was previously on the board had championed a lot of their events and speaking engagements and offering my own insights. I had to take a bit of a break, obviously, because I had so much on my plate with my other board as well. But I think, again, like it, I'm, I'm so grateful to have those organizations and to have met such fantastic people that I continue to keep an open dialogue with because the IR community, as we talked about before, is is small. And, you know, we all talk and we all share information. And that's how we know, like, how to innovate and how to do the best for the companies where we work and the clients that we support. So it's, it's awesome. Lots of thoughts come to mind from this as well. And I just, I do want to recognize Siri. I was actually really happy to be invited to speak on a panel a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, I've, I say I live under a rock, but perhaps I've just been, just been busy traveling too much, but I can't, uh, you know, express enough how cool it was to see the community that is around the Canadian Investor Relations professionals. And so that was really interesting and, and really happy to, to start getting involved more there. As we aim to wrap up here, I'm just, I want to ask if you've got any final questions for us in what you're doing and for the public companies that are out there, any final advice? Oh my gosh. I think my final advice is going to touch on, you know, again, I think I want to encourage people to really understand how much influence an IRO, an IR department, an IR team can have in building mm-hmm. and shaping and progressing a corporation. And, you know, I think for majors, like this is a no-brainer. You know, there's massive departments. But I think for the juniors, like it's, you know, as a, as a senior IRO, I work with a lot of junior companies. And, you know, I think more and more companies as, you know, maybe they're IPOing and they're considering, you know, what sort of talent I need behind me. I think the one thing that I want to leave people with is, you know, first impressions matter and you have to make it count. And the only way to make it count and get it right the first time is to have exceptional talent. And, you know, you can have a good asset, you can have a a great management team, but there's that backend support that's required too, because casting a wide net to the investment community, it's, it's wide and it's a lot of work. So what I would encourage people to do is, you know, learn more about the profession and how to best utilize, not just IR, but, you know, all these different ways we're innovating and we're taking in information, understanding things and, you know, making investment decisions. I think we all owe it to ourselves to, you know, take the time to educate ourselves on it more. And I think it's exciting. We're heading in, you know, very positive directions and so many different things. And we owe it to ourselves as corporates, you know, to innovate as well, because that's how we're going to be more human and be able to connect better. And I think that's, that's important to building trust. Yeah. I appreciate that in the sense that as companies, as issuers, you need to embrace what's happening. You need to embrace getting out there because otherwise you're going to be left behind. Mm -hmm. And then what I'm taking from this and really having gotten to know you is, is just how much of a relationship person it seems that you are and how personable you are. And to me, when it comes down to it, that is investor relations. Yeah, very well said. And it's true because, you know, we're, again, when people invest in a company, they're investing in the people. And, you know, of course, C-suite and your your technical people, that's great. But 
a lot of the times we're the folks that are talking to people on a day-to-day basis. You know, they have to be able to connect with us too. So thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Oh, well, you're welcome. Thank you for making the time. I've enjoyed this. Yes. Thanks so much, Corey. I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Insider's Guide to Finance. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit as well. You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Play Store. Your support there is really appreciated. For future episodes, if there's a question, topic, or specific person you'd like me to interview, feel free to reach out. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or through my website at creativereturn.ca.